like I said, right, it always hits super hard. My wife starts decorating, like, super intense. Um, we, there's, like, there's billboards, commercials. It's on the radio. It's just everywhere. You can't get away from it. The, the Christmas season is here. And as I was thinking about the Christmas season this last week, I was reminded of a, of a story, um, my best Christmas story from long ago. And if you've been around here for a while, you've probably heard the story. But um, for those of you that haven't, um, it's like my best Christmas story. So I want to share it with you guys. So um, one Christmas many years ago, my family was having a gigantic Christmas party. And so often they would do this like every other year. It wasn't every year, but um, where my dad would cook. And um, my dad, my parents were singers too. So they would embarrass me growing up doing that. And, and so they would invite all my friends and my friends' families and our neighbors over and things like that, and we'd have this huge party over our, over our little house. And uh, one year, um, I, uh, I got one of my presents early. I don't know why, but my, presen- my, my parents decided to give me one of my presents, which was a PlayStation, the very first one, the big gray one. You guys know what I'm talking about? And we played the best game uh, which that ever came out. It was called Crash Bandicoot. You guys remember this game? Loved it. It was the best game ever came out, right? And so um, I'm in my room. Six of my friends were playing Crash Bandicoot, right? And uh, out of nowhere, my, my dad and his buddy Ed... Ed, comes into my room, and uh, they grab me by my feet, drag me down the hall, and throw me into the pool in front of everybody, and everyone's just hysterically laughing at me. I'm the only one that's laughing, right? My friends are laughing at me. I'm not having a good time, right? And so all in my mind, because I was like a deranged kid, I'm just trying to think, how can I get my dad back, right? And so you guys know those little pool bobbers that go back and forth, like, you know, in the pool? They're full with cl- chlorine, right? So I figured, like, boo, the light bulb caught. I grabbed all of the chlorine, I put it in my, in my shorts, and I, I put them in the washer with all of my dad's clothes. Right, and so in my dad's police uniform and everything, right? So it all came out like technicolor, just crazy colors, right? But because I was such a deranged kid, I thought, well, that's not it, right? I have to do more, right? So his car was in the garage, and I aired out all of the tires in, in, his, in his car. I unhooked his battery. I grabbed a huge thing of salt. You know, like blue things of salt. They're like every kitchen has it. They're like half a gallon of salt. Anyway, so I poured all of that in my dad's bed because like what's worse than salt or sand in your bed, right? And then the last thing I did was I got all of like the bleach and Windex and all the other things in like my house and I put them all around the open doors. So when anyone would open a door, they would just spill and they would like stain the wood or the carpet, right? So I tell you that story, or long story short, really to tell you I was grounded all throughout the Christmas season uh, and I just got off grounding last week, but um, also that my parents like legit, they, they, uh, <laughs> they took all of the money that they were going to use to pay for my, uh, my gifts and then pay for counseling for the next four years. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It didn't happen. But I tell you that story really communicate this to you. If you're anything like me, growing up, Christmas is kind of an interesting season. But, but Christmas uh, it was full of kind of tension with certain family members because there's tons of drama, right? And I think every family, um, at least I hope mine's not the only family that's like this, that has that one family member or a few family members where you're like, oh, great, Uncle Blank is coming over, right? You know, like, and, and you're not like, oh, it's just kind of, it's full of tension, there's drama, and it's just, it's just kind of a, an interesting season. You know, I have memories, right, of people like storming out of my house, cussing at each other. Like, literally, I just, I remember this one, I was like probably three, and I just remember like my aunts and uncles and my, my older sister, just like, everyone's screaming at each other, cussing, and I'm like, Merry Christmas. You know, I was like, what? Like, it was something about the Christmas season. I don't know what it was, but it was just full of tension and yelling and screaming and added with the fact, right, that I always felt like I kind of had to be fake during this kind of Christmas season. I, I had to act like I was really excited to see people that I wasn't excited to see, right? Like, these people were more like strangers and they were family. And even worse is opening gifts in front of everybody. For some, re- for some reason, that was a thing we had to do. And, and, and so you have to act like, right, like, like camo hats and deodorants was just what you're asking for for Santa, right? It was just this weird kind of thing. And I was thinking about that and then maybe thinking about some of your guys' stories and maybe what your Christmas season's going to be like. And I've learned it, man, it's pretty complicated, right? I mean, whether being surrounded by family is a good or a bad thing, Maybe, uh, maybe trying to find the perfect gift 
for that person in your life that always has everything they already need. So it's like almost impossible to find a gift for this person. Or maybe, right, maybe you come from like a divorced house. Now, Christmas is really complicated because you have to figure out, you have to time it, you got to go this house and that house, and it's just kind of complicated, right? Or maybe, right, maybe this Christmas is going to be a little different around your family dinner table because there's going to be one um, loved one not, not, not sitting there this year for, for whatever reason. You know, for me, what really complicated Christmas was my family. They, they always really got in like the biggest, craziest arguments during the Christmas season. And that really caused me to really feel like further away from my extended family than, than I ever was um, it was almost as if the Christmas season like, made me feel further away from them than if the Christmas season never actually happened. And so here's what I want to do. Over the next few weeks, um, I want to uncomplicate Christmas for you. And, and how I want to uncomplicate Christmas for you, for me, for us, is I want to help us really tune into the real message of Christmas. The other day, I was, uh, I was driving and I was listening to a Christmas sermon series from a, a few different pastors that I like listening to. And when I got up in my car and finally plugged my, my phone in to charge it, um, my radio got like all oh, really statically. And I, couldn't, I could barely hear like the, the Christmas message coming through my speakers. And you know, I was thinking about that and how, man, like what a similar thing can happen to us with the real story and meaning kind of, of Christmas. And in really some sense of the way, right, as we kind of connect ourselves to what the world really says about Christmas and what it's all about and things along those lines, we kind of really lose what the real message of Christmas is really all about. You know, when I think of Christmas, and really what one of my hope and prayers to do tonight and really over the next few weeks is to show us, to show you really how the Christmas story is the greatest story ever recorded because it contains the greatest message. I mean, just think real quick about maybe the, the, the greatest stories that you like or that you enjoy, that you really love. All good stories, all good movies, right? They, they all kind of begin uh, uh, with a very similar thing, and that is they, the great storyline, right? Uh, the, the, the guy saves the girl, which is like literally every action movie you've ever seen, right? Or um, the, the good wizards, right, are flying around on broomsticks to save you from the evil one, right? Or uh, my favorite is there's an unsinkable ship, and for some reason the ship is sinking, and there's this one guy who sacrifices his life even though he didn't need to because there was plenty of room on the piece of wood, right? The story of the Titanic. See, all the great stories we, we, we love, we, we enjoy, maybe we grew up really liking, they all kind of share a, a really common theme that I actually think really flows out from our hearts. And that theme, I think, would simply be this, that the bad guy loses and the good guy wins. Bad guy loses, the good guy wins. And I think that our hearts are wired by God for this plot line. I mean, just think really how off-kilter you get when, when this plot line is infringed upon. So a while back, a year ago, I guess, my wife and I, we went to go uh, to this movie theater, really cool movie theater, and we saw Infinity War, right? And, and so if you have not seen it, if you can plug your ears because I'm going to ruin it all for you. But um, Infinity War is awesome movie when, until it came to the end of the movie. Why? Because there's Thanos, and he snaps his fingers, right? And everything ends. Like half the people, and I was literally like in a mess. I was like, this is not how, it's just literally like he snaps his finger, he like goes and like hangs out like on some like weird world thing, like looking over this canyon, and like the end. And I like was so messed up inside and, my, and so, like, I was just staring off into the darkness, right? And my wife comes over, puts her hand on mine. And she's like, you all right? I'm like, no, I'm not all right. Like, I had this, like, weird, like, emotional upheaval. It was this weird, like, it, it was like something, this is not how it's supposed to end, right? Like, it, it was like an infringed storyline. Like, that's not, what? Like, I almost needed to see Endgame the next moment, right? I couldn't wait another year. I needed to see it at that moment. See, our, our hearts are wired for the good guy plot line because what our hearts need, what your heart needs most is a hero. And he's here to save it from, from sin, from it, from even from itself, and see if the Christmas story is anything, it is the introduction of our hero, the only one who can really 
win the war. The only one who can really reconcile and, and restore your, our relationship with our creator and heavenly father. I mean, j- just think about it. C- Christmas is all about, it's about God initiating the first steps to reconcile towards a rebellious mankind that do everything in their power almost always to make him the least of their, of, of their priorities. See, the plot line of the Christmas story really is, the, I think, where God's heart is really illuminated. And in the pages of Scripture, in the journey, the chronicle of the Christmas story, we see this, this deep desire, right, for, for God to reconcile the, the vertical relationship, the God-to-sinner relationship. And so tonight, here's what I want to do. Tonight, I want to I journey through the steps that God took to reconcile to you, to reconcile to me. And to do that, I want to jump into the book of Luke chapter 2. By the way, if, if uh, you're new to church or whatever it is, um, and you're just figuring out this whole Jesus thing, I would ask that you would start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the gospel, the four first books of the New Testament. And the Christmas story is actually only found in two books. In Matthew chapter 1, it's the genealogy. It's a bunch of long names. It's super intense. And then Luke chapter 2, which is a way easier read, which is what we're jumping into today. So you have your Bibles. You can turn with me to Luke chapter 2, or the verses will be up on the screen behind me. It says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration where Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. That's an interesting part. The manger, we have this idea that it was like all warm and cozy and there heat lamps. No, it wasn't like that. Um, most historians actually believe that it was probably a cold, dark, damp, and even worse, moist cave, right? It was probably a bummer of a place, right? So it wasn't a manger, but it continues, it says this. But there was no place for them in the end. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all of the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Have you ever considered, have you ever considered how unusual the story of Christmas really is? I mean, just think about it, but the, the way that the main character, right, our hero, who he, how he arrives in kind of the, the, the story, right, who, who is God, how he arrives kind of into the narrative. Let me let me paint a, you know, just a little picture of how I think extraordinary this really is. Between the Old and New Testament, and I share this part almost every time I, I, I give a Christmas series or story because it's important for us to understand all the kind of background that's going on. Um, between the Old Testament and the birth of Christ, there was something called the intertestamental period. 400 years of absolute silence from the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, to the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, the backdrop of the Old Testament for those 400 years of silence gave the Jews a kind of interesting view of what their uh, Messiah, an impression of what their Savior, their Deliverer, their King was going to look like. And it was way different than the story we just read in Luke chapter 2. In fact, Jesus' birth and kind of arrival into the, into the story, into the world, into the equation, is kind of completely antagonistic to the way that a Jew would interpret the way that the entrance of their Messiah would make their way into mankind. For those who were raised in Israel and they were taught the Torah, that's the Old Testament, and the, something called the Pentateuch, um, those are the f- first five books um, uh, uh, by Moses, they would, they would have known the promises of a Messiah, of a mighty deliverer, maybe someone like the, the mighty David, right, King David, 
or maybe, maybe an incredible leader like Moses, or a, 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 perhaps somebody with uh, the, the strength of Samson, or maybe even a fearless leader like Joshua. And of course, right, the, the prophets spoke long ago, and little Jewish kids, and they would have all known the, these stories. The prophets spoke long, long, long ago of there being a deliverer, there being, there being a governor, a, a, a king, someone who, who has the power and authority, right, to, to really do things, to in some way put all of the government's of the world under their thumb. That's kind of what a Jew thought the Messiah, the deliverer, the savior was really going to look like. And most importantly, all Jews thought that this Messiah, this this king, whoever it may be, this deliverer was going to rule from a, a physical, tangible throne where he could exercise authority on behalf, actually, of the Israelites, of the Jewish people. And maybe even more, right, because they've been oppressed by the Romans for so long that it would be somebody who could bend the knee of mighty Rome. That doesn't at all sound like the story we just read in Luke chapter 2. And so tonight, tonight the question I guess I want to ask is why? I mean, why would he, our hero, the the main character of our story, show up in this this bizarre, this unusual, this, this particular way? Well, let me, if I could, maybe just paint paint a picture of how I actually believe it isn't actually bizarre, but rather I think it's incredibly and yeah, divinely orchestrated by kind of what's going on in the world at the time. So let me just give you a few, right? So there's some crazy things that were going on in the world in culture and politics and religion and even in language. What's interesting is um, in about 350 B.C., before Christ, um, there was a guy named Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great conquered the known world, and um, because he conquered the known world, he gave basically the world one language, the language of what Greeks would speak, Greek. Now, what was interesting after that is he dies and, and his kingdom gets kind of split up and things like that. And then uh, about a few hundred years later, the Romans come into, into charge. And now the Romans were really good at one thing. In fact, I've been to Rome and I've even walked on the roads that are still built by the Romans from Jesus' time and that Paul would have walked on and things like that. And so now for the first time in human history, when, in, into when Jesus was born, there's almost one language most of the entire world would speak since the Tower of Babel, where God confused speech. Then the second to that is now the Romans were in charge, and they built roads around the entire world like the world's never seen. So now the story of Christmas, the good news that Christ came to bring for the first time ever, could be traveled with one language on many roads. There's there's just so many different things that are going on in in the world where I think it's an incredible, divinely orchestrated event, Christ's birth. But let me kind of set the scene for you, or at least scene number one would be um, Luke kind of opens up his narrative, right, in Luke chapter 2, taking special entrance with Caesar Augustus. And, and I believe Luke is, he's actually trying to paint this picture for us thousands of years later to compare and contrast between the, the mighty Augustus and this little baby boy named Jesus. See, Augustus, right, he, he's an emperor. He, he's a king. In fact, he's accredited with ushering a a golden age of peace unequaled in human history up to this moment. In fact, history would tell, I read a commentary last week, it said history um, tells the tale of announcers that would come into the cities that Augustus was going to travel into in the next few days. And they would would announce things like this, um, that there is a a savior, um, that there is a king that's coming. They would would say things like, um, the Lord or prince of peace is coming. No, no doubt, right, that, that Luke is drawing all this in because he, he wants us to see something. Then, in the context of all this, there is good news that is coming, right? That, that there, is a, there is a Savior, there is a King, there is a Lord, there is a, a Prince of Peace that's coming, but it's not going to be what most people think the focal point of the story is going to be, Caesar Augustus. 
So I want you to picture kind of this with me. The way that I, I like to make Scripture easier to memorize and make it more applicable to my life is I like to imagine myself in situations or, or, or to envision what this must be like. I want you to imagine with me, right, that, that, that Caesar Augustus is high on a beautiful palace in, in, in his hill. He's not high. He's in a high palace. It's, anyways, um, so he's on, his, he's on his palace, right, and he, he sees overlooking the city, right? And outside one of his windows, maybe five miles off in the distance, is this little dark cave. And so meanwhile, and, and when he's up in this, this mighty glorified position in a little town about five miles, there's, in Bethlehem, there's two poor teenagers who are shivering out of fear, and probably because it's cold, and they're in, a, they're in a cold, dark, damp cave. I imagine right, they, they, there's probably animal feces everywhere, because this wouldn't be a place that people would stay. Remember, there's no room for the inn, so this would have been a place that animals would have stayed. And in this place, in this humble, dark, smelly, damp, moist place, Mary gives birth to a real king. What scripture would go on to say is the king of kings. Man, what a plot line. Like, that's not at all how, like, we, that's an that's a interesting, different, unusual plot line. You know, so often when I, when I, when I study, when I went to school, things along those lines, I, I get so wrapped in Christ's divinity, that's to say that he is God, that I so often forget that he was a person, that, that, that I, I, I almost strip him so much of his humanity. And, and so many sermons at Easter, all the movies, right? There's these Passion of the Christ, there's this 33-year-old man who, who died on a cross, right? And that's absolutely awe-inspiring. The grown-up man, right, that's depicted in, in movies and stories and things like that. But for some reason, the, the story of Christmas really gets to me. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know why that this all-powerful, self-sufficient being became a baby who, and this is the part I say every Christmas because this part literally just rocks me, that he would have needed his diaper changed, that, that he would have known what a headache would have felt like a tummy ache. Wouldn't need to get burped. Like that blows my mind that God, God became, the word is incarnate. It just simply means God in a bod, right? I mean, just, he became a human being. You know, the, 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 this most powerful, awesome, self-sufficient, supreme being became an infant. And I love the way that Paul says it in Philippians chapter 2. He says, he emptied himself by becoming nothing, by found, being found in the appearance of man. Another thing I like to think what, that kind of helps me tune in to the, the appropriate message of Christmas is what Mary, what was going through her mind? You know, I don't know the, the extent of Mary's theology, but she had to have this moment, right, where she was woken up in the middle of the night with little baby Jesus just going crazy, right? And so she gets him out of her hay crib or whatever, and, and just, she's rocking him back to sleep. And she has to have this moment, right, where she's staring at the eyes of little baby Jesus acknowledging and recognizing the true truth of this child. And that is that this child is different than any other child because this child is the creator of all things. Let me say it this way. Mary is the only person to have given birth to the very God that created her and everything else. That would be a weird moment <laughs> as it's crying like wanting something. You know, this is the unusual arrival of a, of a baby king, right, who really came from heaven to be Emmanuel, which literally translates with God with us. This unusual arrival is good news that brings great joy because it shows that God did not just cross a room to get to you, nor did he cross a continent, a world, but rather a dimension by becoming one of us 
See, he, he, put, on, he put on human weaknesses. He, he, he put on skin that would bleed, bruise, bones that would break. I, I, I honestly think that the story of Christmas is far, was far more humiliating for God than the story of Easter. To be all-powerful, needing nothing, to becoming a person that's completely dependent upon teenagers, poor teenagers, I, I find that divide to be larger. He came from needing nothing to be completely dependent. He came from an exalted, glorified position where, where the Bible says that there's angels that are on fire screaming, holy, 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 to, being, to crying, being born in a, in a little hole in the wall with animal poop everywhere. You know, if the story of Christmas is anything, it really points and communicates to us that God's desire to reconcile to us. And so Christmas is a few things. Number one, it is the message of what steps God, Almighty God, was willing to take to demonstrate to you, to show you, to illustrate to you how much he loves you and you have a place in his heart. And then the second thing is it's an invitation for you to reconcile your relationship to your creator, to your heavenly father. As I was writing this this last week, I was reminded of um, Christmas about five years ago. Um, for me, this is like one of the most like, impactful Christmas memories that I have. I spent all month prepping and planning of coming up creative ways to get my atheist dad to come to church. And so I would do crazy things like I'll wash your car, I'll you know, mow the lawn, whatever it is, just spend one service coming to church with me. And so finally, somehow, I, I, I asked, hey, dad, would you come to church with me? And he, he said, yeah, I'll, I'll go to church, which was crazy because my dad didn't go to church for 40 years. So finally, I get him to go to one of our Christmas Eve services. We have like 37 of them. So he comes to one of them. And I remember sitting next to him so excited that, that he was there. And as we sat through the service, all I could think was this was literally the perfect message for my dad. It was the, it was the kind of the story, the chronicle of uh, they did this kind of drama on our stage. And it was the story of coming home. And, and the drama on our stage, in fact, Moy, who's going to be speaking next week, was kind of the main character in it. He was kind of this like runaway son, this 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 this. this, this son who caused all this tension with the father and the family and things along those lines. And so on stage, right, there was, in the middle of the stage, there was this huge, big red door. And, and so throughout the, the drama, Moy would, uh, the actor, would, would come up and, and he, would, he would like knock on the door, but he couldn't get the courage, so he'd go back. And inside, you could see the family with the father and there's a meal and, and they're just enjoying each other's presence and things along those lines. And throughout the service, he would get closer and closer to the door, but then eventually he got the courage enough to finally knock. And there's this kind of climactic, powerful moment where the father got up from his chair, walked over to the door, opened the door, and the son just stood there speechless, not really knowing what to say. But then the father walked through the door frame and grabbed his son and dragged him in with a hug. The entire service, and that, that moment specifically, I felt was such an incredible invitation for my dad. Because little did I know, about 14 days later, he'd pass away. And if there was ever a message that I wanted to impart to him, if there was ever a story of, of the character of God that I wanted him to see, it was that one. You know, my dad finally got to see just a few days later what was on the other side of that door. And to this very day, I don't know, to be honest with you, if it was a rejection or, or, or the father embraced him. But what I do know is this. That when we die, there are either tears of joy or sadness in the Father's eyes. Because I believe with all my heart that God does not want people to go to hell. He didn't, he didn't go through all that we just talked about for that to be the outcome of many in this world. But the reality is God cannot force you to knock. God's not going to force people into a relationship that saves them from their sin. But he's not going to force 
people in that type of relationship. But here's what Christmas is. It is the story that God will always answer if you knock. And it's also the good news that he wants to be Emmanuel. He wants to be God with us, and he wants to welcome you to be a part of his family. So I'm going to invite Jonathan, the band, back up to lead us in, in one last song. But before really jumping into the song, I guess I would want to, I want to end tonight talking to really two groups of people. And so I've been doing, I've been a pastor for nine years, and then I've met hundreds of different people. I've met people who are completely atheist and people who convince themselves they're Christians, but they live completely, ap- they live in complete apathy. That is to say that they come to church every week, but nothing in their life has really changed. They're not serving anywhere. They've fallen out of love with God or whatever it may be. And so the first person that I would want to talk to today would be the person that knows the truth but isn't living it. My question for you is you're getting near the door, but why aren't you walking through it? What are the next steps you need to take in your faith? The second person I would want to talk to today is the person that this actually is new news. That not today, but 2,000 years ago. Not in the city of Cyprus, but in the city of Bethlehem. A Savior was born. And that Savior brought good news of great joy because he is the only one that can reconcile you back to a relationship with your creator. See, God's greatest desire, and if Christmas communicates anything to you and to me, it is that his greatest desire is for you and I to walk through that door frame and back into a relationship with him. See, the meaning of Christmas really is this. It's that God did not need us, but he did not want heaven without us. So he became one of us to reconcile us back to himself. Let me pray for us. Father, as I, as I learn more, as I, I reflect on the Christmas story and re-fall in love, God, with its, with its meaning, Lord, may we develop a heart, Father, that wants to know you as you want to know us. Father, you moved heaven and earth to be with us, to be Emmanuel. And so, Father, I pray, I pray that this Christmas season we tune in to the appropriate, to the right message, and may we live with joy because of it. Father, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.